Welcome to For the Love of Yoga, the podcast series where we explore yoga, Vedanta, Tantra, and other schools of spiritual philosophy so that we might live more meaningful lives. For more episodes of For the Love of Yoga, visit us at patreon.com slash yoga with Nish. May these words serve you. Good evening, my friends. It's good to see all of your faces. So nice to see you all here today. Such radiance and such splendor. I love how Swami Vivekananda would say over and over again, May I be born innumerable times and suffer innumerable hells if only to worship the one God I believe in, the sum total of all souls. You know, the other day, Swami Sarvadevananda Maharaj was saying something so beautiful about how Swami Akandananda used to bathe this small Muslim boy while doing a mantra that you typically do while bathing your deity in a puja context. Isn't that so beautiful? And how in the seva ashramas, meaning the service monasteries, they often worship the patients as if they were living murtis. You know, so they would put a garland on top of the patient and they would wave lights and say mantras. And it's a living patient, it's a, it's a human being, you know, not some bronze sculpture or some painting on the wall, but an actual person. So when we say we do work as worship, in the Ramakrishna mission, we tend to mean it. <laughs> so some people might be, you know, thinking, wow, what a, what a convenient way to put young boys and girls and people to work. You know, tell them, yes, yes, this is part of your spirituality. Build this building, you know, bring some medicine and clean water to that famine-stricken place. You know, it's a nice way of marshalling kind of like the strength of people to create change in society, to uplift people. If people are hungry, give them food. If people are sick, give them medicine. If people are unlettered, give them secular forms of education. And most of all, if people are suffering deeply, existentially, bring to them the light of spirituality. So we could say the Ramakrishna mission is is one that's incredibly active, creating schools. And You know, one time I was um, shelving some books in the monastery bookshelf, and I found this book with a picture of like, you know, it said Ma Sharada on it, and it seemed like a, like, a, like a spiritual book. And when I opened it, it was a bunch of essays on like random, like totally unrelated stuff. There was an essay on Richard Feynman's physics. And then suddenly there was an essay on some kind of uh, literary feat by Emily Dickinson. And then there was some other essay on agriculture. And every few pages, there was something wholly unrelated to the pages that came before and the pages that came after. So for a moment, I thought it was a prank. I was like, what? they say don't judge a book by its cover. I mean, how else are you going to judge a book? I looked at the cover and I thought I was going to see some biography of Holy Mother or something. But it was like, yeah, true to the adage, there was, there was nothing on the cover that indicated what was in the book. So I was confused, you know. I was like, what is this, what is this book about? I took it to one of the, uh, the monks in the order and I said, to keep or to throw? Because my job was to kind of curate what books would be there. So I had to make these difficult decisions, you know, who's going to stay, who's going to be donated. So I went to him and I said, what is this, to keep or to throw? And he looked at it. You know, he gazed at it, turned it over in his palm a couple of times, and he said, to, to donate. And then I said, well, what is it? And then he said, oh, it's for the young girls in our girls' school in India. You know, it's a book for their learning in school. It's a book full of secular education for the upliftment of just women in Indian rural settings, you know. I was so moved by that. How beautiful. 
that the mission is not just to preach spirituality to the hungry, but to bring to them bread and not, most importantly, in the guise of helping them as if we can do anything to change the world. That's the interesting thing. If you feel like you can actually meaningfully help people, we're in trouble because then comes egotism. Then comes this sense of I'm going to convert them all to my religion and use bread to do it. You know, look at all these hungry, uncivilized people. I better give them the Lord or something like that. Some weird attitudes emerge. But in the Ramakrishna mission, the bhava or the attitude is to help not out of the um, delusion that we can actually do anything to meaningfully improve other people's lives, but we help as an act of worship to honor the deity that is that person appearing to us. So we are the ones being helped. Whenever you give a homeless person a, a 20 or something, it's not you um, helping a homeless person. It's Shiva appearing before you in the guise of a homeless person, blessing you with his darshan so you can do some worship. Isn't that interesting? So at first you might think, oh, okay, this, this is a convenient way to do work. But when you think about how Swami Akandananda Maharaj, one of the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, was pouring water on the Muslim boy, chanting a mantra, therein lies the heart of the mission. You know, and that is the universality of all religions, work done as worship. And, and you think about how Swami Akandananda must have been feeling. You know, there he is pouring the water. To him, he's not bathing a small naked boy. To him... He's pouring water on baby Gopala himself. And he's chanting the mantra. And you can imagine he's like blissed out doing that. <laughs> you know. So earlier, some of you had come. And you had been here for about an hour. And we kind of offered the basics of puja. Ceremonial worship. So what we did is we visualize the deity that we want to worship in the heart. Recognizing completely that all the gods and goddesses are but various scintillations of the one light of awareness that you yourself are at your essence nature. So fully convinced that only this one principle exists, the absolute reality of pure existence, pure consciousness and pure bliss, we proceed with worship in a non-dual framework, yet accepting a provisional duality. Isn't that beautiful? It's kind of the heart of worship. The idea that only God can worship God for the sake of God, using God. So the flowers that we use for worship, the food that we offer, the drink of wine that we gave to Kali today, that is Kali. Kali is the wine. Kali is the dark chocolate. Kali is the flowers. So it's kind of weird to be offering Kali back to Kali, right? Isn't it kind of weird to think that I need to feed God? That God would require any food of me? Me with my measly little mac and cheese dinner in that little box from Whole Foods. Like, Kali wants to eat that? You know? <laughs> Her daughter is Lakshmi. She's the mother of the whole universe. It's kind of sad to put out a little bowl of mac and cheese dinner for her, you know? Uh, why wouldn't she turn her nose up at that? And it gets, the, the, the situation is further complicated by the fact that the mac and cheese is Kali. You know? <laughs> I know. I'm aware. But, uh, the, 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 the thing is Kali. You know, there's a beautiful line in the Chandi and we recited it today and the line goes something like this. Um, Shrishti uh, uh, stitti vinashanam shakti bhute sanatani gunashraye gunamaye narayani namostute which means 
Thou art the eternal power, Sanatani, of creation, Shrishti, maintenance, Stitti, and dissolution, Vinashanam. And the entirety of material nature rests upon you, and of you is it constituted. Clearly here, the you is awareness. We're talking to awareness, the very awareness that we are. And we've explored this in depth in previous lectures, that it is this awareness out of which this world is made. Svetchaya Svabhita Vishwam Unmilayati, using herself as a canvas, moved by her own innate urge for expressing herself, she created all of this, or she emanated forth all of this. So the idea here is that everything that you see is made up of matter, but that matter is made up of energy. And that energy is ultimately made up of awareness. So this world is constituted by objects. And those objects in turn rest upon subtle objects like thoughts and ideas. And those in turn rest upon the subtlest of them all, which is pure awareness. You know, and that's what we're praying to. So offering chocolate or wine or, you know, mac and cheese is a bit weird because that very mac and cheese is Kali. So why give Kali to Kali, right? And also, what makes that Murti, meaning that bronze statue, any more Kali than any other thing is Kali? You know, everything is equally Kali as every other thing. What makes a distinction? Why do I worship this Murti and not my chair? You know, why do I worship the Murti and not like, I don't know, a plant? It's all Kali, right? Why then privilege the Murti? And why then offer it incense? Why then offer it um, chocolate and, and wine and, and fire and all of that? Hmm? What's going on with that? So the idea here is that I'm creating a provisional duality for the sake of enjoying non-duality in expression. As Kali, to Kali, using Kali, we're conducting this worship. Now, given that everything is Kali, we have to accept another thing. That's not quite true for me yet. At the level that I'm at, it's all well and good for me to say on a conceptual level, Itti Shivam, all this is verily Shiva. It's all well and good for me to say, uh, Sarva Kalvidam Brahma, all this is Brahman. But that might not yet be a felt experiential experience for me. You know, it still seems like certain places elevate my thoughts as opposed to other places. You know, so certain places are what you might call holy places. Certain people are what you might call holy people. Certain people, when I come into their company, I feel elevated and spiritualized. And certain objects like my murti brings out of me a certain attitude, a certain spirituality, a certain fervor that my wooden chair doesn't. What's up with that? If it's all Kali, why does it seem like some things are more transparent to that truth than other things? And the answer is, everything is water, but not all water is used for the same things. Ramakrishna would say this often. Yes, as Prithya said, degrees of manifestation. Some water we clean toilets with. Other, other, uh, some other water we wash dishes with. And yet other water we bathe ourselves with and some water we offer to the deities as worship. So you see, although it's all water, there are distinctions. And although everything is Kali, the Murti is a special manifestation of Kali. But wait, this is important. What makes it a special manifestation? Obviously, the image. There's a certain kind of imagery that calls out a sort of spirituality in me. But more than that, it's the intent. 
Notice that and as we did our puja today, before we worshipped Kali externally, the Bahir puja, we first worshipped her mentally, Manasa puja. So you all sat and visualized Kali in your heart and then you imagined as if that Kali in your heart was coming out of you and going into the statue. It's not that the statue is any less or more Kali as a result of this. It's just that the Kali that only exists is becoming more manifest in that to you within this realm of duality and maya. Then you worship it. Then you say, Esha, Gandha, I worship you with this fragrance, Ma Kali. Idam, Sa Chandana, Pushpam. Here, Kali, this is a flower dipped in sandalwood paste. Esha, Deepa, or first Esha, Dupa, I worship you with incense. And then Esha, Deepa, I worship you with fire. Idam sopakarana naivedyam, I worship you with food. You know, then only there's some meaning here. Notice, I, I myself have imbued that image with meaning. Where before it was nothing but a bronze statue, perhaps suggestive because of its imagery, I have now created a special receptacle of divinity by calling forth the pattern of awareness in me called Kali and installing it or imbuing it in that particular thing. And then I offer my worship, right? So I give Kali food, I give mac and cheese, I give her the red wine, all of that. And then I sing her praises. But you might think, well, why does Kali need any of that? Why does she need me to sing her glories to her? Ramakrishna would often say, do you think God cares that you keep reciting his glories? He knows. He's aware. <laughs> you don't need to remind him that cr he created the sun and moon, etc. So why do that? Why sit there and sing to Kali and speak to Kali? Not because Kali need it, needs it. Because I am exalted by it. You know, I am delighting in the worship, in the chance to serve. Anybody who's ever given selflessly knows that the giver is the true receiver. The joy and fulfillment and depth and profundity of giving is in and of itself the gift. It's so beautiful to give. And every mother knows that. You know, mothers especially know what it is to give selflessly. Not all the time. I know some of you here always protest when we give the lecture, God is a mother. You know, because you're like, well, my mom, I, I don't know about you, Nish, but my mom was, you know. So I'm not talking about the particular mother, but I mean, in principle, a mother is someone who so selflessly dotes on the child. Remember that story we told in the God as a mother lecture? How there was this boy who fell in love with a wicked princess. And the princess wanted to be the only woman in this boy's life. So she said to the boy, um, you know, if you really want to marry me, then bring me your mother's head. Prove to me that you love me. So the boy was like, oh, okay. Oh, he's so infatuated. So he runs home. He severs the mother's head and he's running back to the princess in the, in the deep of night, you know. Now it's dark and he's running. Suddenly, the severed head speaks. It opens its mouth and says, my boy, my child, please don't run so fast. You might trip and fall. How beautiful, right? That's the story of the love of the mother. So like that, to selflessly serve and to give is not for Kali. Kali doesn't need it. It's for me. I am elevated, I am spiritualized, and I am aggrandized by the performance of puja, by carefully preparing flowers, food, fragrances, etc. for my deity. Now, anybody who's ever performed a ritual worship in any tradition, 
whether it's a Catholic ceremony done with the right um, spirit. I'm not talking about simply mumbling prayers or observing external forms of worship or going through the motions because you're worried you'll go to hell if you don't. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actual, authentic, sincere, ceremonial, dare I say, magic. You know, um, actual... Um, with feeling kind of ceremony. Anybody who's ever done that knows it radically spiritualizes you. There's a kind of sublime and subtle feeling. It's a very rarefied feeling, very difficult to describe. In fact, we might call it beauty. We might call it reverence or we might call it sacredness. Ah, Brett is here. Dear Brett, welcome. Brett is an old friend and a new friend and an eternal friend from way back when. Welcome, Brett. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> By the way, um, is the audio okay over there on your side? I feel like the video might, is the video glitching? What do you think? A little bit because, okay, good. Cause on my end, there's like a stop motion thing going on here. Your faces are, you're like, you know, I'm having like a mini epilepsy or something. Okay. Okay. Good, good. Yeah, okay, okay. So the video is glitching a bit. Good, good. All right. If the audio is coming, the audio is coming. Mother's will. Sometimes, like, the... I don't know why. Maybe it's a, it's a space thing, a storage thing. It blurs the video and it glitches the video. I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out somehow. Or or not. It'll be okay anyway. Um, so, um, notice, there's something about doing puja that is very elevating. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> good. I'm happy. It's very wonderful. You know, it, it, it elevates you. And we see that as spiritual. Now, it's possible to just spend all your time doing puja. That itself is a path. It's kind of a bhakti yoga tantric approach. Now, when Swami Vivekananda landed in southern India, in Sri Lanka, and uh, actually in, in Tamil, in the, the southern province of India, when he landed in that country, he started to give this whirlwind tour of lectures. And in front of Shiva temples, he would say, you people, why do you worship Shiva in the temples? Go and worship Shiva in your fellow brothers and sisters echoing that sentiment of um, may I be born innumerable times and suffer innumerable hells if only to worship the one God in which I believe, the sum total of all human souls, my God, the wicked, my God, the lowly, etc., etc. So you see, this call to arms is different in texture than those people are uncivilized brutes. Teach them the ways of the Lord. They need your help. They will die without you. It's different. It's not that. You see, that is the downfall of all religion and the downfall of all service because that won't aggrandize you. That will reify your sense of ego and move you further away from what it is you came here to do, which is to throw off the baggage of little old me. As Vivekananda would say in another place, the old man must die. That's what spiritual life is all about. And it's very difficult for Kali to sever the head of your ego if you've so thickly built the muscles of your neck. That was a clumsy metaphor, but essentially what I'm trying to say is that if you're working to help others, you're really doing harm to yourself because you're reifying this identity of me, the helper, me, the one that does good to others. You know. However, here what Vivekananda is saying is worship Shiva in your fellow brothers and sisters and siblings. Meaning we have to import what we learned earlier about Kali. Kali doesn't need the mac and cheese. I do. I give her the mac and cheese because it elevates me and helps me spiritually. I know that Kali is not literally in the bronze. I mean, in an absolute sense, of course, everything is constituted of awareness. But I invest that statue of bronze with an intention. I will worship Kali in this statue of bronze. 
Is it really so far a jump then, so big a leap of logic then, to turn to another person, a living murti, and say, I will worship Shiva in you? you know? And the idea then is, it's not because you need me. It's not because I can actually help you in any way. The Lord does her own work. You know, if you are fed, it's the will of the Lord that you are fed. You know, if you are helped in any way, it's her helping you through me. I cannot myself do anything. That's why the Christ time and time and time again would say, I can of my own self do nothing. Everything that I do, my father who art in heaven does through me. Very dualistic statement. And in another place, he makes the non-dual affirmation, I and my father are one. So what's going on here? You know, a kind of provisional duality is given to express non-duality. So the mission of the Ramakrishna order then is to worship Shiva in the jiva, to see in every person that God that you worship at puja, and then to meticulously and reverently offer your prayers and your worship to them. So this can come in the form of education, secular education. Like Brett is a wonderful debate coach, and he had a wonderful tour of Malaysia and, and, and just helped a lot of people, myself included, become better debaters. You know, he taught debate. That is an act of worship. Every lesson is like so many flowers placed at the feet of the kids who come to that debate class. No, no, Brett, you will always be my, my mentor. And, <laughs> no. and you see, this idea of, yeah, and you'll see the idea of, yeah, a lot of debate people, nice. You'll see the idea of like bringing education, like we said earlier, just teaching science to women in rural India, especially women. The empowerment of Indian women is very important to this mission. So secular schools, um, crop stuff, all of that. There's so much activity and so much work, but none of it is done in a spirit of those people need our help. I know I've beaten this horse to death, but it's very important to reiterate because if we lose this texture, then this will just be another like missionary religious institution um, trading bread for fanatical loyalty and money. You know, it's not that. Yeah, so the idea then is when you are worshipping, it shouldn't feel like it's taking you away from spiritual life. Now, a lot of us feel like serving coffee at Starbucks isn't spiritual enough for us. Puja is spiritual. When I'm sitting in front of Kali, doing my mantras, Om Kring, Shimat Kali Kaye, Devye Namaha, that's spiritual. <laughs> when I'm meditating, that's spiritual. When I'm reading a book on non-duality, Tattva Masi, that thou art, Nate Deho Natam Deho, the body, you are not the body, the body is not yours. Like, we think that's spiritual, right? Bhakti Yoga, Raja Yoga, meditation, karma, uh, sorry, Jnana Yoga. But we don't feel like helping others is spiritual. You know, and notice a lot of people lose their spirituality because they get too involved in this delusion of the world needs me. Without me, the world will stop. Everyone will die. Everyone will starve. I alone can save the world. And then they abandon all their spiritual practices and go on some fanatical mission that usually results in some kind of genocide or abuse or something like that. So it can be the case that your work takes you from spirituality. But at the highest level, if you've truly understood non-duality, if you've truly mastered puja with the kind of flow state that comes when you're offering things to the deity, if you've truly unlocked the secrets of concentration and mysticism in Raja Yoga, then the highest yoga is Karma Yoga. Because you will do that service, whether it's educating an unlettered boy or whether it's serving a cup of tea to someone or whether it's offering $20 to the Shiva that is a homeless person, whatever it might be, whatever your work is, that to you will feel like a puja. I'm not saying like on a conceptual level or just pretend that it is. No, it should feel like that. 
you know, as you're doing it, you should be elevated and inspired and you should remember God in that moment. You're doing this for God. So some of you are dualist. You take on the attitude of God is my master and I am thy servant, you know? And like that, you say, I'm doing this for God. Many of you are non-dualist. So you take the attitude of for the sake of Shiva, Shiva is now worshiping Shiva using Shiva. All as an expression of non-duality. That is the heart of the Ramakrishna service effort. Why am I talking about this? I know that today our, our conversation is um, motivation for meditation. Eight ways you can motis- motivate yourself to meditate more. That's, that's actually what we're going to talk about today. And I expect that we can do that lecture quite quickly, you know, within the hour. Um, but I just couldn't resist sharing this idea with you first uh, because it was just May 1st. And uh, I think in Balaram Bose's house on May 1st, 1897, Swami Vivekananda put all of this in writing. He established the Ramakrishna mission, you know, and he, after his tour in the West, he came back to India and he was finally clear as to what it is the impact of Ramakrishna was going to have on the world. You know, as he said in many places, my only one ideal is to preach unto mankind their innate divinity and how to make it manifest in each and every movement in life. And his whole life was dedicated to the triple principles, or rather I should say the one trinity of oneness of all existence, the innate divinity of the soul, and the universality of all religions. The idea that all religions are true. That was for the West. You know, the mission in the West, in America, is to make meaning out of a life of luxury. That's the first thing, to teach spirituality. Whereas the mission in the East, in India, is to bring materiality. Indians, they are well-versed in their Ramayana and Mahabharata. They can give you discourses in Vedanta, but they need bread. They need sanitation. They need um, technology. So that's kind of the, the double effort of the Swami Vivekananda Ramakrishna initiative. Now, since it was May 1st, 1897, when it was established, last yesterday, we celebrated our 125 years of being, you know, here, of doing this. So that's why I thought I'd take a little time just to offer my flower at the feet of Ramakrishna in the form of these words, in great joy and reverence for what it is we've set out to do. You know, um, this idea of helping one another as worship, as spiritual practice. So, so much for that. Um, and I'm just going to close this recording here because that's, that's just, that's my spiel. <laughs> Thank you all for listening.